had tremendous faith to write in obedience the things that they could not possibly fully grasp. Holy fire, burn away my desire for anything that is not Thanks for joining us at the Hope of Our Calling. Let's get started in our study of First Peter. Well, welcome back to Hope of Our Calling. Thank you for joining us. We are on our way through the epistle of First Peter, the epistle of hope. And so far, the Apostle Peter has been reaching out to believers or disciples of Christ, not only throughout his time period, but also to saints throughout time. He's been busy reminding us of glorious truths. Truths that we received the moment that we repented of our sin and trusted the sacrificed blood of Jesus to cleanse us and make us fit, not only for our future with him, but for our present with him. Our hearts became the home of the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth. Our minds gave lordship to Christ Jesus, and we acquired an inheritance that is incorruptible and reserved for us. We also learned that we are kept by the power of God, and thus daily we walk in a living hope, seeking heaven even while here on earth. The glorious revelation of everything we have come to know about Jesus Christ and the salvation of our souls. So last week, we talked about trials, we talked about faith, and we talked about glory. We learned that the trials are allowed and used by God to refine our faith. And as the commentator Warren Worsby says, A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. So with each allowance of a trial in our life, the Lord is busy proving us to us that our faith stands when we place it in Christ Jesus. We learned about a refining That as the master metal worker tests the gold to see if it's a pure gold or a counterfeit, so the trials of our life test our faith to prove its sincerity. We took a look at Romans chapter 8 verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And I encouraged you to hold on to that scripture, to memorize that scripture, to hold it in your heart so that when you are tested, when the trials become intense, you will be able to remember this scripture and gain hope from it. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And that's an important point. This glory, which will be fully revealed 
when Jesus returns for his church, when we meet him in the air and we know as we are known and we see the glorious plan that he has had in play since the beginning of time. The testing of today is merely a preparation for the glory of tomorrow. In the book of Job, chapter 23, verse 10, it says, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Now, Job is interpreted as the oldest book of the Bible. And to have this same theme going through all of Scripture that when he tries me, I shall come forth as gold, should encourage us, should tell us that there is a theme throughout Scripture, and one of those themes is that testing refines our faith. Isn't it encouraging to know that we were born for glory, were kept by his power for glory, and we're being prepared for glory? It is to me. I hope it's to you as well. And in Peter, verse 8 of chapter 1, there are four things I want to point out to you, a way that we can enjoy the glory right now. The first one is that we should love Christ based on our spiritual relationship with him and what the word has taught us about him. The second thing is that we need to trust Christ. Live by faith and not by sight. Love and faith go together. And when you love someone, you trust him. And faith and love together help to strengthen hope. For where you find faith and love, you will find the confidence for the future. Also in verse 8, we're called to rejoice in Christ. Each experience of trial helps us to learn something new and wonderful about our Savior. Remember last week? When I shared with you something that Kay Smith had taught us, that with every trial she learned something about herself and about her God. That should be our understanding as well. And the final point of how to enjoy glory now is to receive from Christ. If we love him and trust him and rejoice in him, then we can receive from him all that we need to turn trials into triumphs. Now, I'm not suggesting that our trials will instantly become easy. Because when Abraham was asked to sacrifice his only son on Mount Moriah, after many decades of trial after trial, after experience after experience, after glory after glory, we all understand that was an intense and difficult trial. But he trusted the Lord. He loved the Lord. 
He praised and worshipped and rejoiced in the Lord. And therefore he knew that he could receive from the Lord the promise that God had given him that his descendants would be more than the stars in the heavens. And thus he could trust that even in this thing that the Lord was asking of him, no matter how difficult, the Lord would faithfully turn it to glory. The final verse that we looked at last week was verse 9. It says, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now, we're going to talk about that salvation today as we dive into verse 10 and 11 and 12. But I want to call to your memory that that moment that you realized your need for a Savior your need of redemption, your need for something to transform in your life that you might spend eternity in heaven. That very moment was the moment of your salvation, and you weren't left there. God's promise is that he gave you the deposit of his spirit to proceed in the sanctification process. So my point is, our salvation is not only for the future, it is for today, and it is a confidence that we have because of his promise. Later on in Peter, he writes that we've been given great and precious promises that we may be partakers of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world, which is our lusts. So as we submit our minds to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and our hearts begin to turn to him and seek him with all of our heart, our salvation becomes sure because it's all we're seeking is his face. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. That's the place we want to dwell, saints, where heaven lives in our soul day by day. So let's move on and let's start looking at the prophets, those who prophesied about salvation, a salvation they could not completely understand because Christ had, had not come. Now, for verses 10, 11, and 12, I'm going to read it out of the complete Jewish Bible because I think it explains it a little bit more clearly for me to understand anyway. I love the King James. I depend on the King James. I study from the King James. But I like looking at other versions just to make it a little bit more like vanilla ice cream instead of Rocky Road. So here we go. Verse 10 of chapter 1 of First Peter. It says, The prophets who prophesied about this gift of deliverance or salvation that was meant for you pondered and inquired diligently about it. This is Peter talking about the Old Testament saints who prophesied about salvation and diligently inquired about it. Verse 11. They were trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Messiah in them was referring 
in predicting the Messiah's suffering and the glorious things to follow. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that their service when they spoke about these things was not for their own benefit, but for yours. Remember, Peter's talking to the first generation of believers and all believers since. These things were not for their own benefit, but for ours. And these same things have now been proclaimed to you by those who communicated the good news to you or shared the gospel message with you through the Ruach HaKodesh or the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then he finishes verse 12. Even angels long to look into these things. Saints, what Peter is conveying is there is a honor, a privilege, an amazing gift to understand salvation with hindsight, which is what we have, because we are 2,000 plus years post Christ Jesus, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. We have a completely different perspective than did the Old Testament prophets. But let's break this down just a little bit, okay? Going back to verse 10. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that was to come to you. In Matthew chapter 13, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him why he continually spoke in parables. And in verses 16 and 17 of Matthew 13, Jesus says, Blessed are your eyes because you see, and your ears because you hear. But I tell you, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. There is a passage of scripture, and I love this passage. I call it a tent peg scripture. It's found in Jeremiah 29. And many people know it. It starts at verse 11. And it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. But the verse I want to draw your attention to is 12 and 13. Because it says, And you shall call upon me and go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you will seek me, and find me when you search for me with all your hearts. Now, back when we were studying Ephesians, we came across the passage where Jesus led captivity captive. It spoke of the time period between his burial and his resurrection where he descended into Abraham's bosom and he led all of those old-time prophets who had put their faith in the future salvation. And he delivered them. He delivered them to the resurrection because they could not ascend to heaven until the resurrection. They sought diligently but had to wait until the crucifixion and the burial of Christ 
to hear the fulfillment of deliverance. And that is when Jesus led captivity captive and they became fully aware. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Do you understand? God wants us to seek him. He's revealing things for us to know. And as you seek him diligently, as you desire the things of God and that understanding of the fullness of salvation, that it's by Christ's coming and dying and resurrecting, that his spirit gets imparted fully to each believer, that we start to glean the spirit of understanding that brings everything into light. All those things that have been hidden become revealed. That's what this church age is all about. The revelation has come. The Apostle Paul wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ, the final testimony of the Bible. And from that time period on, God has revealed throughout his entire word, Genesis to Revelation. The more you study it, the more you rise higher and higher. You get a more eternal perspective. You start to see all the puzzle pieces coming together, all the tapestry threads weaving together to make a glorious picture of a bride for a bridegroom. But it only comes for those who seek with all of their hearts. The prophet sought intently into the writings. Can you imagine what it was like for, say, Daniel? Look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. It says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah, another prophet who eighty approximately 88 years prior had written about the time period of banishment in Babylon and how long it would go. But the glorious thing about Daniel's prophecy, it not only clarifies how long they would be in Babylon before they would return, but it also testifies the exact day the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on the foal that's found in Zechariah. But the Old Testament, remember what I said, the Old Testament was concealed. The revelations were concealed. And we can see that because further down the line, Daniel in chapter 12, verse 4, wrote that the Lord told him, Daniel, shut up the words and seal this book until the time of the end. God's Ways are higher than our ways. They're so far past our understanding. And I can't imagine how these prophets of old prophesying these things they couldn't possibly understand. They had limited understanding. And then God said, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Basically telling Daniel, don't strive for understanding. Trust me. He tells that same thing to us. Trust him. Trust him that his ways are not ours. They're higher. 
But they're a future and a hope you must believe to receive. Now, we've learned so much about salvation in our studies of God's Word. We've learned from our study in Ephesians that he intended to create a bride, a willing, eager, excited with exceeding joy, bride for himself. But all of this was hidden from the prophets of old. Now, we've been blessed with lots of understanding, but there is still so much more to learn. And even the greatest believers need to continue in prayer Continue in meditation, continue reading, continue listening in order to maintain the work of sanctification by the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. In order to receive the grace of the Holy Spirit continually transforming our souls. There's so much I love in God's Word because it's truly the most epic mystery story you could ever be on. But the blessing is the author keeps giving you the facts, keeps giving you the truth, keeps directing the flashlight onto the truths, the glorious truths to grow you into the things of the kingdom. But it only comes for those who seek with all their heart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 12, that great love chapter, It says, now we see but a dim reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Don't you want that? Don't you desire that? Don't you hunger and thirst for the eternal truths? When you look across our globe today, we see so many people going in so many directions trying to work their way into heaven. Not grasping the understanding that heaven came to us. God came to us through humanity. He clothed himself in frail humanity. Took upon himself our iniquities. Can you imagine Isaiah writing chapter 53 about the suffering Messiah? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our blessing is we know the meaning of this scripture. We look back at the crucifixion. But can you imagine Isaiah writing it? In faith, in obedience to the Holy Spirit. 
recalling that back in chapter 9, verse 6, he wrote, But unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I can't fathom what went through Isaiah's mind except I must surrender. Even in Psalm 22, the crucifixion is clearly seen. The suffering of the Messiah. But can you imagine how desperately they had to surrender, these writers had to surrender their will to be usable by God and his spirit? And my question and application for us is, could we surrender to that degree? Make it so, Lord. Make it so. They had tremendous faith to write in obedience the things that they could not possibly fully grasp. In verse 12, it said, To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament believers looked ahead by faith and saw, as it were, two mountain peaks. They saw Mount Calvary, where the Messiah would suffer. That's written in Isaiah 53. And they saw Mount Olivet, where he would return in glory as the king. That's in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. The only thing they didn't see is the valley that was between those two mountains. That valley is us, the present age of the church, gleaning all from scripture about what God truly meant since before the foundation of the world. Kay Smith wrote, we don't have to take lambs and goats and turtle doves and all these things and sacrifice them anymore to cleanse us of our sins. We just simply say, oh Lord, I'm sorry. Cleanse me by your blood, and it's all taken care of. We have so much knowledge written by amazing, incredible men of faith. How do you hold that knowledge, saints? These prophets wrote about salvation for a future time and a future people. Us. And then the conclusion was that angels desire to look upon this salvation. Barnes Notes writes, This reference to the angels is the same as that to the prophets. It is to impress upon the Christian a sense of the value of that gospel which we've received and to show us the greatness of our privilege in being made partakers of it. Our application comes from Spurgeon. It says, Peter here prescribes a remedy to the temptation of hopelessness during trials or loneliness of spirit and for general depression. This remedy is to take a deeper interest in the things of God, to give ourselves more intensely to the consideration and contemplation of them. 
They are well worthy of all the thought that we can give to them. I ask that you would spend time this week praying, reading, meditating, seeking with your entire heart, soul, mind, and strength the things of the Lord. Till then, stay in His grace and surrender all. For more information about Kendra Martin and Hope of Our Calling, you can email her at kendramartinministries at gmail.com or visit the website at www.hopeofourcalling.org.